All right. So good to be with you. And uh, good to see you here. Um, God is good no matter what God is good Um, if you're like Noreen and me uh, you keep hearing of more concerns of of people you know health wise a dear friend of ours uh, just the other day uh, had a heart attack and uh, you know it he's he, you know they had open heart surgery on him and he's doing all right but it's it's tough and it, you know it's just here's our our family and the things that we hear and now you know look you look around and you think you know what are you guys hearing and what are you guys hearing and and you and and you and Overflow, what are you hearing? You know, what's going on? And it's a constant thing, you know. And some, somehow in America, it seems like we just don't get it. We're dying. <laughs> that's, that's a translation of what's really going on. I'm getting older. You're getting older. I am getting older. <laughs> and, yeah, it's something that it just keeps happening. You, you'll keep hearing of others who are struggling with something that, you know, they hear about their cancer situation, hear about this disease or that. And what does it do? You know, it causes us to say, well, I, I think it's time for an appointment to go see the doctor. Well, guess what's happening? You know, <laughs> next month I got to go see the doctor, you know. Not that anything's going bad. I just, you know... I need to go see the doctor. It's been years. Time for a health checkup. And um, that's what we need to do with our church. That's what every church ought to be doing. They need to, you know, get to the point where they say, yep, got to have a checkup. And, And we get a checkup by looking at the Word of God. Um, and you, you know it. The, the big topic of this past year and, and probably this year too, the health care debate and all. And uh, it really comes alive when you, you start, you know, things start happening in your own family or in, in lives of the folks that you love and, and you, know, you know of. So it is. It's a critical issue it's it's and it's critically important you know for maintaining good health right and that's what we really need to shift our thinking to here this morning and for the next couple of sundays um it looks like you know uh, uh, we'll be here the next three this sunday and the next two sundays and i want to be able to uh, take time to talk about this issue with us about our church and so, wisely, we, we take this thought of our health condition and shift it and make application to our church. And whether or not you or I realize it, God has placed a great value upon His church. And um, unfortunately, 
with modern thought and, and the emphasis that we hear of in our culture, that's being downgraded. That's being relegated to like, you know, third class status. It's not that big of a deal. And really, the shift in that priority of where, where the church really is at, that shift has taken place over the last 15 to 20 years, I believe. And it's not necessarily something that you might be following, but it does affect us. And it, we ought to relate to it because it's of great concern. For over the last 15 to 20 years especially, the shift has happened because it seems like the church is not that relevant and it's really, for you guys that have grown up in the church since uh, you were little kids back in the 30s and 40s or whatever, and, and it's, it's, it's for you. So church leadership starts saying, well, let's, let's shift things. And let's make it more relevant. Let's make church more popular. And so we can get more young people coming. And so that's happened through... Uh, all sorts of movements and such. And it's, it is a, a great concern. How come Parkside doesn't do this? How come Parkside doesn't do that? Uh, I mean, let's, let's get up with the times, right? <laughs> let's do some things that might be popular. And you say, well, what's the matter with that? What's, why not? Let's do it. Um, we get to thinking, you know, on these terms, because a lot of times there's just so many uh, concerns for success, right? Do you want to be part of a successful church? Well, what does that really look like? How do you define success? What's success really about when it comes to the church? And... Uh, I mean, my goodness, look at some of the churches in America nowadays. It's like, you know, they are the, they are the power churches, you know. Wow, you know, 20,000 members, right? Multi-million dollar budget, uh, you know, 20 or more pastors on their staff and all sorts of programs and they're reaching around the world with their ministry and all that. And, and other churches like, well, gee, I, yeah, I wish we were like that. Let's... Let's get a, a power pastor in here and he'll do it and he'll bring us to that. You know, all those kind of thoughts come flooding in when we think of the idea of, of a church being successful. What is that really getting at? Do you think that Parkside's a successful church? I, I don't want you to say anything now. Just, you know, think. Do you think Parkside's a successful church? And we can stop and, and weigh it out and think, oh, yeah, you know, this or that. But part of my job is, I think, to say, hey, don't be getting big-headed. Don't be thinking that Parkside's so successful. There's some things that we've got to get after and do. And here, you know, I don't know how much we'll get at today. There's, there's a lot stirring in my brain. And, um, you know, I, I hope that we can communicate this effectively in the next three Sundays or so. It's important to you. 
it's important. It's of great value to God and it's important to you because it's of great value to God. Jesus died and paid, you know, for the, the ransoming of the church. And then on top of it, you know what he does? The Bible tells us that the church is what? The bride of Christ. That's one of the, the metaphors for the church, right? You're the bride of Christ. Now think about that. Let that sink in while I wax eloquently about my son and our new daughter-in-law coming. <laughs> okay? Now, once that took place, once our son gave the ring to Kimberly, Dave and Tim's niece, once that happened, guess what? Focus. Oof. Okay. Sam did it. He did it. And now the point there is that there is no other. There is no other. Right? She's engaged to be his wife. And so it is in, in the church. Once you become a believer, you are automatically put into the body of Christ and now you are a part of the bride of Christ and there's the value in it. Look at, look at the emphasis we put on weddings. Okay? It, you know, there's a great emphasis still put on weddings, right? And you and I, we're in that engagement process. Are we readying ourselves for the marriage? Are we? Are you and I, as individual believers, readying ourselves for the marriage with Christ? Are we getting ready for that, that day when we'll be with Him forever and ever? And how is it that we do that as, a, as individuals? And how is it that we do that as a, a church? Well, we've got to follow the blueprint for his word. And so in a sense, we need to take ourselves to the to the health clinic, to the wellness clinic as a church, right? And really be asking, how are we doing? How are we doing? And the, you know, the easy thing to do then is here's another uh, kind of a diversion that we have as a church. Well, okay, me and my husband, we found this out, or me and my wife, we, we figured this out. And so let's go to the pastor and tell him, right? Well, you can do that, but if you're expecting the pastor alone to solve it and to fix it or to change it or to whatever, adjust it, you know, that's not the uh, most accurate thinking that we need to be having. Because the idea of the pastor is not to have his hand in every little pot out there, right? Right? <laughs> please, please. <laughs> What's the idea? The pastor's job, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, should be what? To train the saints or to equip the saints for the what? The work of the ministry. Okay? So that you are getting trained and you are growing and maturing in those ways. 
See, all too often, it's left up to the professionals, quote-unquote. And uh, there, yes, there are certain things that need to come through the church leadership for approval, for confirmation, for awareness, right? But the bulk of the ministry ends up not getting done because, well, you know, for whatever reason, and we shrug our shoulders. So, there's all sorts of distractions. You know, here's, let me back up a second. We've got this great value that God puts on the church. And if there's this great value that He puts on the church, guess what? There's a great responsibility that falls upon us who are a part of the church. However, we end up with all sorts of distractions. And that's what I was talking about earlier. It, these distractions can pull us off course. But in the, in the flow of things, we think that this is the way the church ought to be. You know, if we get really excited about political activity, political activism, we can justify that and say, well, that's right. But that's not the priority of the church, is it? No, political activity is not the priority of the church. Or, or social activity, as good as that is, as important as that is, that's not the priority of the church. Not only distractions of all... I mean, this idea of, you know, the temptation of being a popular church um, and, you know, that we've got everything together, right? Uh, that's not the priority of the church or, you know, to be uh, more marketable. Let's, let's do something, you know, that we can put out there in the newspapers and the TV... You know, that's not the priority. The priority is in what we're going to talk about here this morning. The message of the gospel. Okay? Um, before we move into that, there's, there's other... It's not just distractions that we get pulled away with in the church. There's diseases. There's some diseases that we have to look out for. And that's why I bring in, in this idea of the... The health clinic, you know, the idea of going to a wellness clinic. We've got diseases that we've got to be on the alert for in the church. And I won't, you know, bore you with all sorts of, you know, names and descriptions, but there's two in particular that we have to watch out for. Whether you're in leadership or not, we have to watch out for relativism. Okay, relativism. What is that? And that is something that's very, um, you might not hear of relativism all the time, every day, every week, but it's out there. And because it's out there, whoever comes, you know, to church, including me and you, if we're not careful, we can bring that kind of mindset into the church. Relativism. What is it? Well, easy way to define it is there's no absolute truths. That's relativism. There's really no absolute truth. And so when that gets thrown to us, we think, oh, well, wait a minute. What does the Bible say? And that's exactly where we need to start. What does the Bible say? The Bible does say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we, we have that to, to be accountable with. But the, the culture around us, the world around us... Um, our schools, they promote it. 
um, you hear it on even from some churches. They'll promote it. Where it's like, oh, you know, if, if that's what you like in your religious choice or freedom, fine. You know, and, and then it goes into the idea of it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you, you know, are happy with yourself and you know, all those kind of things. So we've got to watch out for that disease. That, that comes in. Um, and that's important that we are on the alert for that. Another one that's very popular uh, along with relativism is uh, infatuation with self. And some writers, some uh, authors call it narcissism. Okay? And you get the old mythology figure of uh, Narcissus who looks into the pond and is, is just taken with himself. How beautiful that figure. It, it's him. And, that, and that's all his focus. And that's the idea behind this term, this disease that gets into the church. And you think, that's maybe a little extreme, isn't it, Woody? No, it's not. Because it's very... Both of these, relativism and narcissism, are very subtle. And they're, they're, uh, uh, you know, they're really intertwined in our hearts so deeply. That's why the only thing that's going to work to change that is, what? The gospel message. You can't paint over that. You can't just cover it up and say, hey, it's fine. No, you have to go deeper and... And Jesus Christ, in His work on the cross and His message of salvation, pierces through that whole ism, relativism or narcissism. So we've got to watch out for the diseases. And that's why we need to go to the wellness clinic, so to speak. So number one, let's go on to that. I don't know how far we'll get here this morning. You've got an outline there in your your bulletin. Um, You can follow along, but... We'll just we'll keep track of things and see how far we get, finish up in the next two Sundays. Okay, so going to the wellness clinic, so to speak, is, is saying let's go to the Word and look at what the Word tells us, what God tells us about the church and, and some of the basic foundational things. So today's time is really very foundational and it might come across as very, oh, yeah, I've heard that, I'm very familiar with that. But I want to encourage each one of us to let it sink in deeper and deeper and deeper to our hearts and thus value this more and more. So number one um, at the wellness clinic checkpoints would be regarding our basic signs of life. The basic signs of life is, you can see it there in your outline, is, is Jesus Lord. New Lord and new life. Okay? Number Letter A is a matter of just coming under his control, uh, coming under his care. Understand that he is the cornerstone of the church. And everyone has to be connected to the cornerstone in the church. And the only way you're connected is by coming under his authority, by coming under his lordship, by coming under his care, his ways. Okay? Many people just figure, and we've talked about this before as a, as a congregation, we, you know, folks figure, well, I just, I go to church and I attend church faithfully and somehow in their minds they figure that, oh, that'll get me right with God because I do my job. I show God 
I am worthy to be in heaven when I die. But that's not the way it is. You must come through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So that it's absolutely clear. You can be a you can be at church, but that doesn't mean you're a part of the church. Right? Here it is. Some people say, well, I go to church. I don't want to hear that you go to church. I'd rather hear that I am the church. I am a part of the church. And thus, what does that do? That breaks down the thinking that, oh, I go to church, I attend church. But what it means is it really, it just jettisons you out into the community. I'm a part of the church because of Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. And then letter B, it it follows with new life. If you say that you're a Christian, there ought to be new life then. New life in Christ. This is very basic. It's by way of His conversion, His rescue. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. Okay? It's because of His rescue, His conversion, that we have new life in Christ. And let's face it. So many of us, we get into a rut. And we, you know, day after day, week after week, we think, Ugh, same old, same old. And we don't look into the Word of God for the refreshment, for the strengthening. We don't look into the, the fellowship of the believers. We don't look at witnessing like we should in, in telling others about... And when we do, we say, do you know what's happened this week? You know what, I, you know what the Lord did? And, and we get excited then about living for Christ. And I don't want to paint that like, you know, that little picture that you get in your minds that, oh yeah, yeah everything's wonderful. You know, that you're just brainlessly going about life. No, that's, that's not the case. But when you and I are, you know, in the Word, on our knees, sharing our faith, involved in fellowship, true fellowship with one another, there's new life. There's abundant life there. So, and thus the result is, there's a love for Christ. You know, when, when we talk about uh, being a believer, what does, it come, what does it really come down to? One's love for the Lord Jesus. Not the words, but the... Here's the the claim and the life that shows it. There's no perfectionism we're talking about. We're just saying, here's here's the desire of my heart. Do you love the Lord? When we say that, do you love the Lord? That's one of the, the most powerful thoughts that we ought to be wrestling with in our lives. And then the outflow of that in your life, in your home and in your work in all that we do, you love the Lord. See, they've got to match up, right? Here's a, a profession of faith, and here's the, the, the very Lord of the church, the Lord of our lives. Um, interesting little story that Charles Spurgeon shares. Charles Spurgeon told this of another pastor. Um, the pastor's name is Roland Hill. And uh, a drunk man came up to Roland Hill one time. And uh, the drunken man came up to him and said, I'm one of your converts, Mr. Hill. 
And Mr. Hill said, I dare say you are. In a shrewd and sensible reply, the preacher went on to say, but you are none of the Lord's or you would not be drunk. And it's, it's that kind of thinking that we deal with, not so much this specific example of a, a drunk, but all sorts of issues that could serve as examples in that. See, Christ came to save you from these sins. And it, it's the issue of saying, I, God's working on my life. I know it. I'm, I'm changing. I, he's changing me. So, this issue of the basic signs, um, that's what the check is on. If you're, a new, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the church, right? And it's not this building. This building, we meet here, great. But the, the church is not this building. The church is not our, quote, worship service. The church is redeemed people who gather together not only for worship, but who gather together so that they can be encouraged and challenged in the Word of God and sent out to be a shining light in their home, in their community. Okay? That's absolutely critical that we understand that. Now, the next point, number two, the next key checkpoint would be regarding the message. The message of life. Okay? So we have the basic signs of life and then the message of life. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 16. This is one of the first uh, mentioning of this uh, regarding the church from the lips of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. So we have this statement from Jesus, and I say uh, in point number two, the message of life is because here's the... Here's the way that it gets translated. This verse gets translated by some saying, no, it's, it's Peter. It's about Peter. Because he, he, he equated it with Peter. See there in verse 18? They say that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And actually we have a whole denomination that's built on that translation. That says, oh, upon this person, Peter... We're going to build our church. Okay? And that's, that's understood in, in the history of the Catholic Church. Putting Peter out as, here's, here's the Pope. Here's the papacy. And the whole system. 
Okay? But the problem is, the way Christ said this wasn't emphasizing the person of Peter. It was actually a word play on the person of Peter, on his name. And so we understand what Jesus said when we say, oh, uh, that you are Peter, a, a, a chunk of a rock. And upon this rock, this cliff, this mount, mountain of a rock, I will build my church. What is the, the rock that he's building on? Is the confession of the gospel. It's the confession of the gospel. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's the gospel message. And so, I, I know there's a number of you here that you've, you're, you're familiar with that. But what, what's the gem in all this? The gem is that this message, the message of life, is what ought to permeate everything. Everything that we are as a church why? Because it's what Christ said he will build his church upon, is this confession, this gospel confession. So, under the, the, the points, the subpoints under the message of life, we've got the possession. You, it, it gets back to him being Lord of your life. It's got to be a possession. It's yours. Is the message yours? Do you know it? Is it yours? Do you own it? Okay. Then secondly, the proclamation of it. The proclamation is there because, you know, when you look at Peter and you look at his life, what eventually happened was you, you get to the book of Acts, you know, after his denying Christ three times, after, you know, he went back to, you know, doing the, the fishing business and Christ gets him back and calls him back and then here comes Pentecost. And now turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And you say, well, yeah, here in regards to the church, it, it was about the Holy Spirit coming, right? And the Holy Spirit came upon all the believers there. And it was like, wow, what an event. Okay? But notice that the message of the gospel was right the very next issue. Okay? Acts chapter 2. And the, the Holy Spirit came upon, in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay? And it was just like wildfire. Here it goes. But what happens? Well, people were responding. They were saying, verse 12, what does this mean? And others, in verse 13, were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, here it is, Here's the proclamation of the message. Right at Pentecost, right at the start of the church, here's Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And what does he do? He presents a sermon about the gospel message. Okay? So Peter, under, Peter started doing this over and over and over again. And actually, in, the, in your notes, I, I, I just put down, you see it there in letter B, proclamation, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, etc. And on and on it goes throughout the book of Acts. They're giving the message of the gospel. And somehow we have disconnected with that thought, thinking that, well, 
okay, you know, they did it and that's great and they're, they're public speakers and they did it. They did the job. But we can't disconnect from that because this is a part of the foundation. This is what Christ said. I, I will build my church on this rock, on the gospel message. Okay? So, the proclamation. And I, I would encourage you to read those sermons in Acts You can track along with them. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. Continually bringing up the issue, and not the issue, but the person of Jesus Christ in their preaching. Okay? So, little side note. How are we doing in that? That's important, not just here on a Sunday morning in the proclamation of, you know, in the time of our service, but also how are we doing in that in our Sunday schools? How are we doing on that with our Awana groups, our children's church, all the different facets of our ministries? How are we doing? And that's just a challenge for all of us who are involved in ministry to make sure, you know what? I haven't given the gospel message in a little while. I want to I share that with people. I want to share that. Because what, what does that do when you give the gospel message, folks? You know what that does? It exalts Christ right away. It ought to. If it's not exalting Christ right away, it's not a gospel message. Okay? Not only the possession of it, that you and I possess this message and know it, cherish it, but also then um, we proclaim it. We want to share it, whether it's with an individual, a co-worker, a neighbor, whatever. We want to be ready to share that, asking God to use us and that what might come from our lips would be, you know, used by God. But let her see, thirdly, protection. Once we get beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then we get into the, the epistles in the New Testament, and you realize that a, a, a large amount of teaching in the epistles is regarding protection of the message. Why? It's because of man's heart. I have a book here by John Piper. And this is called Contending for Our All. And in it, he highlights and gives a history uh, work here on different men who gave themselves to protecting the truth. One of which was uh, G. Gresham Machen. And he was part of the um, Princeton Sem- uh, Cemetery. <laughs> cemetery. Cemetery, yeah. Seminary. I'm getting all tongue-tied. And some would joke and say, it is Princeton Cemetery because it's dead of the gospel message now. Do you understand that Princeton University, you know, is founded on on the Bible? You know, here's here's a Presbyterian uh, group, and in the early 1900s, G. Gresham Machen stood up for the truth, and they didn't have it. They they decommissioned him, if you will. They took away his ordination, and he went and he started um, or helped start Western um, Westminster uh, Seminary. And Westminster Seminary is in Philadelphia and also out in the West Coast. 
And there's a, a, a testimony in here about him and uh, John Owen, a uh, man in the early, you know, early centuries, Athanasius. And these guys, they understood the battle that was going on. If the message gets changed, it's going to affect everything. And so there's the, the passages here on protection. Look at your outline you'll see. Galatians 1.9. Let's look at that. Galatians 1.9. <clears throat> and then we'll move on to First and Second Timothy. <clears throat> Galatians 1.9 is Paul's uh, letter regarding the law and legalism. Galatians, starting at verse 8. Let's, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That is no light word. Let him be sent to hell. Committed to hell. In verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. It says it two times there. And somehow... I don't know what it is exactly. We don't get all that excited about it, it seems like. Why? You know, Paul understood about the message of the gospel. If it's contrary to what we've been given, it's wrong. Uh, Jude, Jude verse 3, contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Contend for it. There's the idea again of what, you know, he's talking about here. The idea of protecting the message. Let's go to First, first Timothy. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. So First Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then it goes on to describe things that, you know, end up happening. In verse 6, he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Okay? It's a matter of this message needing to be protected. We've got to track along with what Scripture gives us. 2 Timothy, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, very similar in nature. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And that gets back to the message of the gospel. And what is that saying? The people will not endure sound doctrine. So, pastor, teacher, you keep giving sound doctrine. 
that's a heavy responsibility. Why keep trying to do that? Because if Jesus died for the church and he calls the church the bride of Christ, there's that motivation again. Here's the issue of love. You want to do it because of what he's brought about and because of what he's promised. And he has promised, I will build my church. So, this message of, of life, sometimes we get to thinking that, oh, uh, I, I've been saved, I know it, and I, you know, I kind of move on now. But I want to redirect that thinking. You need to stay on base with the message of, of the gospel. And so we kind of come to a close now here about the challenge. What about the message? Where is it really at in your life? You know, is that is that a concern of yours? That you understand better and better the message of the gospel? Why have pages and pages been dedicated to the message of the gospel and why have many lives been given over to the preservation of the truth of the message and here you and I sit benefactors of what God did in protecting his precious word for us and what many lives you know how many lives not just these three but many others have given themselves over to maintain the truth and integrity of the message you know what it's a message of life and as a believer you've benefited from that message of life so wouldn't it be wise then that we own it that we truly do own it and you know I tease about it from time to time, you know, thinking that, you know, it'll, it'll motivate people. But, you know, pointing over here, stand up and give us the message of the gospel. Over here, you know, same thing. Anyone, you know, to stand up and give, and not just say, well, accept Jesus and you'll be happy. No, you won't. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not so much about accepting Jesus Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Here's another distraction that churches have. Taking the next half an hour to emphasize, come on forward. Come on now. You come forward now. That's a distraction. Why? Because I want and you want, we want to see numbers come up. We want to see people come and respond, don't we? So come on down the aisle. And we'll, you know, God's working, I know it, and you, or you, you, you know, come on down the aisle. That's a man-centered kind of approach, isn't it? But when we say, Jesus died so that you might be made right with God, and if right where you're sitting, you will ask Him to forgive you, and you will ask Him to be invading your life, 
as Lord and Savior. Call upon Him right now and you'll be saved. For with the heart and believes, with the mouth He confesses. Right? Romans chapter 10. So, all sorts of things that the church needs to be alert to and aware of. But this one thing we want to focus on, and it's this foundation, the message of the gospel. I want to improve in it. I want to be a a sharp tool in his box, in his toolbox to be used of God. Not not for uh, my own purposes, but for God's glory. And so it is with us as a, as a group. Um, we encourage you again. You know, if you're not coming to Sunday school, come to Sunday school. Why? So we can have more numbers. No. So that we can help train people. And the, and the ongoing study of the Word of God where we find the message of the gospel. That's what we want to learn and grow in. Um, home Bible studies. Okay? Got a couple of home Bible studies to be a part of. You know, in, in the Sundays to come, we want to discuss not just foundational issues. Today was really about a foundational issue. But we also want to get into talking about our, our function, how we function as a church. I love it here. I love you folks. I think we hit a home run, if you will, in regards to our caring for one another. Do we miss on that? Yeah, we still miss on that from time to time, don't we? Or we could talk about our worship. You know, and say, you know, it's just, ah, we love it here and we worship, you know. Well, there's things that we can improve in our worship. You know, it's... It's a number of things. It's not just one issue. Okay, the pastor preaches from the Bible. That's good enough for me. There's a number of issues that we need to give consideration to. And Lord willing, you know, see from His Word what He emphasizes and what His priority is. Okay? And so we want to keep, keep marching on. And we'll be talking some more about um, the backside of the outline and uh, dealing with those issues also. I want to encourage us to, to mature and grow. And uh, it doesn't just happen because we've got a, a wonderful power staff on, online here at Parkside. No, it's not that. It's a matter of we as a church grabbing hold of the message of the gospel of salvation, knowing it, and compassionately, lovingly passing it on, passing the torch to our children and to those that we work with, those that we live around, and see what God does, right? See what God does. Okay, so, health checkup for PBF, to be continued, okay? Let's stand together and close in prayer.